Let's open up to the book of Romans. Tonight we're going to be going through chapters 2 and 3. And the best way I would probably want to open these chapters up as we've gone through the book of Acts and we've seen that the gospel has now gone out, Paul, in writing to the Romans, now has to explain to them what I would call religion versus relationship. And basically, that's what these two chapters are about. They're written to the Jew and they're written to the Gentile. And... Um, well, let me just say this a couple times so that you can get an overall picture of what Paul's going to go into great detail in laying out. And that is, if you would ask the average person, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And 90% of them will say, well, I think I'm going to heaven. And they'll, they'll usually say, I think. And the rationale for this is because they're attributing their acceptance by weighing their good deeds over their bad deeds. Or they're judging themselves against somebody that they know is a worse sinner than they are. And that is the basis of why they feel um, that they're going to have access someday. What also primarily we're going to get into is religious traditions. In the case of the Jew, it's going to be circumcision. In the case of the Gentile, it's going to be baptism. And so um, I'm telling you these things ahead of time because Paul gets very technical as we break these two chapters down. So if I would summarize it, so if, if, if you're in the middle of something here and you wonder where in the world is Paul going with this, you'll have some sort of understanding that what he is laying out is um, um, the real dangers of having a peace thinking that uh, you're right with God because of tradition or because you actually think you're a good person or not that bad of a person. I mean, I'm not really good, but I'm really not all that bad either. And this is where we're headed as we look at these two chapters tonight. In this chapter, Paul is showing that God will judge self-righteous and religious people. And I do believe that religion is the greatest danger from keeping a person, from having a personal relationship with Jesus. Good place for an amen. You've been there, you know that. Um, Religious people, self-righteous people, and so-called good people need a savior. In chapter two, That's where we are tonight. Paul is going to set down certain principles by which God is going to judge good people. Chapter 1 reveals the unrighteousness of man, and chapter 2 reveals the self-righteousness of man. So let's begin by looking at just the first three verses. Therefore, and whenever we have a therefore, we again have to go back to the preceding chapter. He's just laid out that man is without excuse because of creation. And on Sunday, we titled it Suppressing the Truth and Unrighteousness. Um, They know the truth, but they suppress it 
but God's going to hold them accountable anyway because of creation. He says, I'm going to hold you responsible that I exist and I am, but you're suppressing that knowledge because you want to live an unrighteous lifestyle. And he ends it um, in verse, by giving a definition of, of guilty as Gentiles, he gives a list of, um, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, and not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. And so now we have the therefore. So in the first word, therefore, you are inexcusable. Well, now we're back to um, uh, verse 20 of chapter 1 where God says, so they are without excuse. And now he's repeating it here. Uh, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you're actually condemning yourself. This gets into the idea of comparing your, your righteousness against somebody else's. You who judge practice the same thing. Uh, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things are doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? In other words, here it is. I think I'm better than you and your judge of person outwardly when you yourself are the same person. That's what's being said here. Robert Gavert has called attention to the four ways of escape which are open to man who breaks human laws. Okay, everybody catch what I just said? There's a way that if you break a law that there's ways you could actually make your way around it. And I'm getting this from him, so I'm just reading uh, his four reasons. His offense will not be discovered. In other words, he got away with stealing something. So he got away with it that way. He may escape beyond the, the judicial system of the court, if you got a good lawyer. Or after arrest, there may be some legal technicality which will cause a breakdown of the legal procedure I won't get into, that was on the news tonight with a murder that happened a long time ago. And so they're still trying to get this particular individual off on a technicality. Number four, after conviction, he may escape from prison and stay undercover. So here's four ways that you're guilty, but on an earthly level, you can get away with it anyway. Uh, But... None of these avenues of escape are open to man in regard to divine judgment. Your offenses will be discovered. You cannot go beyond God's jurisdiction. There will be no legal technicality. You will never be able to escape from prison. The writer of Hebrews asks, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In other words, there isn't anything that he doesn't know. There isn't anything does he doesn't see. And um, he's going to make that all manifest someday and there's nothing anybody 
can really do about it. Verse four. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? And here's this wonderful scripture, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. I'm gonna put something up on the screen now that is a probably one of the oldest tracks in leading somebody to the Lord that, that you can um, ever run across. It's called um, the Roman Road. How many people have heard about the track of the Roman Road to Survival, to Salvation? I'm gonna leave that up for the rest of the night because the first one up there is Romans 3, verse 23. And... Um, uh, we can use the book of Romans to lead a person um, to Christ. So I'm just going to leave that up there for now. As a matter of fact, we leave it up for the whole study. And um, so in verse 4, um, we have this wonderful verse that says that God is rich in goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads you to Repentance. Now, we ought to recognize today that the goodness of God is something that ought to bring us to our knees. Uh, But yet, in a lot of cases, it has just the opposite effect. In other words, because God is good, and um, we sin, um, he, he doesn't always address the sin, but he gives us time to deal with the sin or he's patient or whatever. This was a problem that King David had when he saw this, that the uh, wicked were getting away with things and God wasn't punishing them. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Give you a moment to get back there. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I'll make my point. In Psalm 73, uh, verses one through five, it says, truly God is good to Israel, to such a, as are pure in heart. David says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps were nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. Uh, they are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. Um, Verse nine, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks against the earth. Um, Verse 17, let's pick it up at 16 and 17. David said, when I considered this, that the bad guys are getting away with everything, they seem to be blessed, they have no troubles, they have no problems. And David said, this troubles me, that God doesn't, Bring the hammer down on him. In verse 16, David said, when I thought on how to understand this, it was too painful for me. In other words, I don't get it, Lord. It's your goodness that leads a person to repentance, but in a lot of cases, people take advantage. Uh, we'll get to Romans 6 in just a little bit. The first verse of Romans 6, verse 1 says, if God is in the business of forgiving sins, let's sin. <laughs> That's Romans 1, uh, 6, verse 1. And then it says, it was too hard for me to understand. It was painful for me until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. 
Surely you have set them in a slippery place. You cast them down to destruction, but not at that particular time as David's observing all of this. So let's go back to verse four of chapter two where we read again that it's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. Now let me just take a moment and say in some cases that's true. Where you share the gospel with somebody and um, you say, how would you like to be free? Are you happy? No, I'm not happy. How would you like to be happy? I'd like to be happy. (laughs) And you begin to share, well, you can be. And God loves you. God loves me. I don't think so. You don't know me very well. And he says, no, he really, really does. And he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. That's how much God loves you. Really? God did that for me? Is that true? Yeah, as a matter of fact, the verse we'll end with tonight, he says, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. It's not about you. It's about what he did for you. Really? Well, that sounds too good to be true. Well, it is true. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and what will the truth do? It'll set you free. So, in some cases, when the gospel is presented, um, uh, it can have that reaction. On the other hand, there is people, like in Romans chapter six, which is just a page away, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Take advantage of God's grace. We'll, we'll get there in just, just a bit. So let's go back and we're going to read verses 5 through 10 at this point. But accordance with the hardness of your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. In other words, you might be able to get away with sin now. And like in Psalm 73, that troubled David, thinking that they were going to get away with something. Let me just say something very, very categorically. Nobody gets away with anything. Nobody gets away with anything. Well, they might now, but nobody gets away with anything. Everything is being recorded. The books will be open. Every thought, every motive, Every deed, every action has all been written down. And um, that's what is being said here, the revelation of the judgment, the righteous judgment of God. Um, That's in people's future. Verse six, who will render to each one according to his deeds. If I understand the scriptures correctly, there are different levels of judgment. Um, It talks about some being, uh, terminology is um, um, scourged with many scourges and some with less. And there's different degrees of punishment just as there are different degrees of treasures in heaven. I like the analogy of the Apostle Paul. How much treasure do you think this guy's gonna have in heaven anyway? Quite a bit. Yep. What about the thief on the cross? How much treasure is he going to have? Zip. Question, is he in heaven? Absolutely. Does he have any treasure? Nope. Didn't say the sinner's prayer. 
never was baptized, was nothing but a thief. All he said is, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. So you're gonna meet this guy someday. And you can say, hey, man, where's your stuff? <laughs> he said, sorry, none ever. Go check Paul's out. <laughs> Scripture says that at his right hand are treasures and pleasures forevermore. And the more we understand about, um, especially in the days that we live, um, Americans are spoiled. We have way too much. And we have a tendency to dwell on earthly things. Colossians 3, 1 says, if you're born again, then you need to be seeking those things which are above. Our attitude should be having no fear of death in any way, shape, or form. Let me take it a step farther. Paul said, not only am I not afraid of it, bring it on. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Then he goes on to say, you know what? It's okay that I'm here. If I had a choice, I'd rather be in heaven. Do we really think that way? Well, we, we read it in the Bible and we go, yeah, I, I believe that. Well, you're gonna get tested on it. And um, again, it's a problem with the amount of stuff. Isn't that a good word, stuff? That could distract us and uh, take us away from what the main thing really is. We've been given a commission. We've been given a charge to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What are you here for? Well, you're here to be salt. What does salt do? It's a preservative. You're here to be light. To what? A dark world. So that they will, as the old song says, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Well, you're different. You, you just went through this heavy, heavy deal, and man, you're handling it pretty good. How are you doing that? Oh, well, you know, the Bible says cast your cares upon the Lord and he, he cares for you. I'm not carrying this stuff around, not if he's willing to take it off my back. And this is the freedom uh, that we have and the admonition that um, Paul is giving here is talking about our works. Let's continue in verse um, seven. We read verse six, who will render each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who patiently continue in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, then it's indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good. Lord, what good work could I do so I could go to heaven? The disciple said to Jesus. And the Lord said, believe on him who he has sent. No, 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 we're talking about doing something. And he says, I understood your question. Believe on him who he has sent. And that takes you out, I like the word equation, it takes you out of the equation. And it puts it all upon Jesus Christ. So what is a good work according to Jesus? Believing that he did it all. And if we're any part of that equation, trust me, you will screw it up. I know I am. And um, that's, you know, like the proverb said, uh, 
the best on your best day, a righteous man will fall seven times. That's on your best day, okay? And, and yet, the majority of the population of the people that we know, how do they view themselves going to heaven or not going to heaven? On the scale. And that's why Paul is addressing this here. And he's tried to make it clear it has nothing to do with you. And um, so here, what I'd like to do is um, he's talking about the tribulation and anguish and indignation and wrath. Well, what's, what's he referring to there? Well, remember earlier we talked about things you could get away with on a human level scale, like escape from jail or whatever. All right, let's go to the place where none of that's going to happen. And to do that, I need you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. Scriptures that most of you here are very familiar with. But nonetheless, when I told you earlier, no one gets away with anything, this is where that's going to happen. In Revelation 20, picking it up in verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened, plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. The very last thing I want is to be judged according to my works. But when a a person is in a tradition of religion, and on that basis they feel through some ritual or whatever, in the case of the Jew circumcision, that's where Paul's going with this. But in our case, uh, I think baptism would be a good example, and I'll be talking about that in just a little bit. But by the things that were written in the book, well, what was written in the books? Everything that person has ever done. Everything. Nothing will be left undone. And this sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. So now we're talking about hell. Hell is going to be emptied someday. Remember the rich man Lazarus? He died and went to hell. Well, he's still there right now. Is he going to be there forever? Nope. It's going to be emptied out someday. And he's going to have his day in court. And he'll be one of those that'll be standing at this judgment. And they were judged, each one according to his works. I want my day in court. I want to be, I want to, I want to defend my own case. All right, let's, uh, here's your own case. I don't know if he's, the Lord's going to put it on a big live screen of everything you've ever said, did, or done, but there's going to be no way you can deny it because it's all there. Word for word, at that moment, at that time, that'll be made manifest. They were judged according to the works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, what's interesting to me is this is actually one of the promises that Jesus gave to one of the seven churches. They'll have access to the tree of life and then it says they will not be hurt by the second death. Well, back in Revelation 3 where you read it, you go, well, what in the world is the second death? Well, the rich man died, Right? says he went to Hades. Well, he comes back again. So he died once, 
Now he's alive standing before the great white throne judgment. And uh, he's found guilty because the books were open and it condemned them. And um, it tells us here what the second death is. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is eternity now. This is the second death. And anyone who was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you're not saved, that should scare literally the hell out of you. And for those, and the problem today is people have gotten away from this and got into topical Bible studies or motivational speakers on uh, how to make you feel better or whatever. And um, I think there's a great place for that. I mean, read Psalm 150. What's it about? Every instrument that's around, play it, tambourine, drums, guitars. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Be happy, worship the Lord. Um, The freedom that comes and the real love and that comes upon a true born-again believer. Back to Romans. We've just read the first 10 verses. 11 through 16, now let's look at the third principle of judgment. We read in 11, for there is no partiality with God. There is with men. And um, people could be a respecter of persons, maybe because of uh, some have wealth and some don't, some are talented and others aren't and and um, but with the Lord as the Lord uh, said to Jesse when he was looking for the next king of Israel and uh, the first son came up it says the Lord doesn't judge by outward appearance but he judges the heart only he had he's not he's doesn't show partiality For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves. Well, Judas should know what's right and wrong because God's entrusted to them the oracles. We'll be talking about that on Sunday. He's given them the scriptures. Um, But the Gentiles didn't have the scriptures until the end of uh, the, the New Testament. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and thoughts accusing or else excusing. What's he talking about? Well, you have a conscience. You're different than every other man thing that God has made. Man is different. He's self-aware. He has a conscience. I know that this is right. I know this is wrong. And um, I wanted to use dogs for an example, but they do too. (laughs) (laughs) at least my dog did (laughs) two things that dogs love Uh oh don't get sidetracked right (laughs) what's the most favorite thing you can say to a dog 
What do, what do they want to hear more than anything in the whole wide world? You want to go for a ride in the car? <laughs> yeah, but then you come home and you, you, you find out that um, he's over in, my dog's over in the corner just sitting there going like this. And the first thought that comes to your mind is, all right, what did you do? So you start looking around the house and you see this pillow that's all ripped up. They know. I've, I figured out that my fish has a brain. When they see me come in, they start swimming around like crazy because they know it's, it's dinner time. And they get all excited. I turn that light on, on the fish tank. Wham, they're just there. Supper time, it's like ringing the dinner, dinner bell. So, but the conscience um, is unique to us. Let's go back to verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we have the whole story that Peter had to find out the hard way because he thought God was partial to Jews and um, Gentiles had no right on the same level as a Jew. And so the Lord had to teach him by allowing this picnic blanket full of unclean food that a Jew cannot eat. And the Lord says, rise up and eat, Peter. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything or common from the day I was born. Three times the Lord said, rise up and eat. And then he says, what God has cleansed, don't you dare call any man common. Knock at the door. Some guys from Cornelius' house. Angel appeared to Cornelius. He wants to know how to get saved. He's a righteous man. But he knows that his righteousness isn't good enough for salvation. And so the angel says, um, go, to, go to Simon in Joppa, call for, call for Peter. He's gonna explain it to you. So Peter goes over there, he goes, okay, I get it. Look at verse 34. When Peter gets to Cornelius' house, he says, Peter opened his mouth and said, it's true. I perceive that God shows no partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. He came for the Jew and the Gentile, and he, this was unthinkable, that a Gentile could be saved. And so now let's go back and tie that into Romans uh, 4, verse 11. There is no partiality with God. He is not a respecter of person or color. And yet, what are we seeing today in these last days? Are we not seeing um, the stirring up of um, color groups against other color groups? Um, Black lives matter. No, all lives matter. And, hey, Bastia, Sakbasay. Hey, you're a black man. Yeah, you are. When I, go, when I was going to, down there on a regular basis, we'd have baptisms. And bat, Bastia and I would do the baptizing. And, um, but before I'd give a little Bible study, I said, I want to tell you something. I'm a white man, and I'm going to be 
baptizing black people today with Bastia. And I said, but I want to, I want to tell you something. I'm a part of, um, the, of a, a fellowship at that time was the Jesus people in Milwaukee. And the pastor that baptized me was black. <laughs> and I thought of that, I thought the irony of this and how there is no partiality that it was actually a black man who baptized me and now we're in Haiti baptizing uh, people that are black. God is no respecter of persons. He does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And so we see it in the ethnic groups, anti-Semitism, like never, ever before. Hatred against the Jewish people. Why? Why now? Why so much more this year than last year? And it's exponentially growing. You can't go to any news report. They don't put it too much on the news, but anybody, I I get special reports from Israel. And all it talks about is the different places in the world and anti-Semitism and just how bad it really is on a worldwide basis. So now, instead of all men being one, Jew, Gentile, all the same. What we have in the last days is this um, um, division that's taking place not only against the Jewish people, um, but they're doing the very best they can to have, uh, if you're white, you're guilty in a lot of people's minds. And um, you hate black people simply because you're a white person. And that's actually being talked about today. I think about that, I go, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. What's the matter, did you lose common sense somewhere along the line here? And yet, these are the things that the Bible says in the last days people will, um, there'll be a lack of love for one another. The love of many will grow cold. We won't have a heart for the lost like we should. Romans 2 Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts or conscience also bearing witness also between themselves thoughts according or else excusing them in that day when God will judge the secrets of God according to my gospel. Now I have in here Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 20. So let's turn back to Romans 1. Again, the idea here, God can and will judge heathens by their own conscience. Some people think because the heathen do not have the revelation of God that they will escape God's judgment. But the fact is that they are not living up to the light they have. God will judge them on that basis. And then in verse 16, in that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to Romans 2.16, we have a false idea today that because we happen to be good folk, that is, we think we are, that we'll be saved. God is going to judge the do-gooders, and he will judge them by Jesus Christ, who said that if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's guilty of adultery already in his heart. There, this is only one example of the secrets of the human heart. Do you want the secrets of your heart brought out? Not 
not the lovely things that you have said, but the dirty little thoughts that come to you. This should cause all of us to flee to Jesus to save us. God is going to judge religious people, the Jews, in in particular because they had the God-given revelation given to them. And so, um, picking up in verse 17 through 20 at this point, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the, of the foolish, a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge um, that is in uh, the truth. You therefore, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Um, And this one here, I would like to go back and where the Lord gets into extreme detail with these two verses, 21 and 22. And that is in Matthew chapter 23. So let's go to Matthew 23, which really is a good summary of our study tonight. So this is the most straightforward, hard-hitting words that the Lord gives to the scribes and Pharisees. First of all, he says in verse three to the scribes and the Pharisees, therefore, whatever they say to you, uh, to tell you to do, observe, that observe and do. But, Do not do according to their works, for they say and do not. It's not that they're not saying the right thing, they are, but they're not doing it themselves. That's basically this whole Bible study tonight. But now he gets very, very direct, and um, um, I'll I'll give you the examples of their their religion. Let's just pick it up and, oh, just so we don't read the whole chapter, pick it up in verse 13. He's talking to these religious leaders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Well, how do they shut up the kingdom of heaven to men? Well, they're talking about doing things that they themselves don't do. And that's what the Lord is saying here. You're shutting it up. You can't do it, and now you're expecting them to do it. That's what's being said there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrits, for you devour uh, widows' houses and for a pretense make a long prayer. Um, The idea of devouring women's widows' houses. Uh, An example would be um, a woman lost her husband, doesn't have much, but she's uh, watching Christian TV. And on this Christian TV program, it, it talks about um, um, sowing your seed faith money to this ministry. 
And if, if you do, then you'll be blessed. Well, that's a lie. Um, but in actuality, they're devouring that, I don't want to say the word gullible, because maybe her, her heart is, yeah, I want to do that. I want to help that person. What is being said here is, you Pharisees, you know what you're doing. You're, 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 you're making it sound religious, but in actuality, you're robbing this woman. You're devouring her house. And for a pretense, you make a long prayer. And um, uh, therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one uh, proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. Woe to you, you blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And um, it goes on and on. He ends it in verse 33. He calls them serpents. Here, here's... <laughs> The reason I like this chapter is growing up in Sunday school, we always get this idea of mild-mannered Jesus. Um, But the idea that he would make a whip and start turning over tables and then use verbiage like serpents, brood of vipers, what, lowly, humble Jesus, speaking words like this. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Who's he talking to here? Very religious people. There, you know who had the biggest problem with this? As a Jewish Pharisee? Nicodemus. He was troubled. He says, you got something that I don't have. So he comes to the Lord by night. And uh, the Lord cut through all of his thoughts that he is ready to ask all these questions. Oh, I know you come from God because nobody can do these things unless God was with him. And um, the Lord interrupted him and says, Nick, I don't know if he said Nick or not, but he might have. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What in the world are you talking about? Well, Nick, it's like this. Um, It's like the wind blowing through a tree. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects that it has on the tree. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When a person is born again, you don't see the Spirit. But the effects that it has on you is what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. And slowly, Nicodemus was coming around. Do you know that Nicodemus was born again? Him and Joseph of Arimathea were the ones that were concerned. Says he was a disciple secretly. So he still had his concerns about what people thought about him. But nonetheless, he was truly born again. All right, let's go back to Romans. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Now he's going to get to the heart, literally the heart of the issue here. Yes, I established the covenant 
with the sign of circumcision. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? That's a question. And will not the physical uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Now we're getting to the heart and we're gonna have to end it here because I'm not gonna try to um, um, ram through chapter three in five minutes. But here's the heart of our study and it'll, it'll continue on into chapter three. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is a circumcision which he is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart. So the whole study here is they're holding up religion, and um, but it's not the circumcision of the flesh, but it's the circumcision of cutting the heart. What happened when Peter preached the gospel? It says they were cut to the heart. And only after they were convicted can they be converted. Well, you can do the outward appearance if you're Jewish. I'm, everything's cool. I'm a circumcised Jew. And the Lord is saying, boy, you're missing, you're missing a forest for the trees. That's not it. It's not the circumcision of the flesh, but he says here it's a circumcision of the heart and the spirit and not of the letter whose praise is not from man but from God. Circumcision was the, the badge of the Mosaic system and that's all it was. There was no merit in the writ, ritual itself. This badge of circumcision indicated that the man believed the Mosaic law. Now, for them to transgress, uh, be a transgressor of the law, brought circumcision into disrepute. That which should have been sacred became profane, because that's what they were trusting in. Now, let's end this study tonight, because um, we're mostly Gentiles here this evening. This thought can be applied to the church Sacraments, how so? Water baptism is rightly a sacrament of the church. The Lord said, believe and be baptized. Good place for an amen. Did he not say that? Well, you can be baptized um, um, when you're six months old. You don't have a clue of what you just, you've just done. And that's, Again, missing the forest for the trees. Well, I'm going to heaven. Well, why are you going to heaven? Well, I was baptized. And that would be equivalent to what Judaism is to circumcision, water baptism would be to the church. And you're saying, well, I'm going to heaven because I I was baptized. Well, no, I didn't have anything to say about it. But that's where we have confirmation. 
You know how I got through confirmation? I looked at the girl's paper next to me and copied everything she said. That's a true story. Because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. But I got to take communion after that. I had no idea what that was about either. So what's your point with all this story? Well, the work of God is the act of, not, we'll be having a baptism this summer, and um, uh, we should do it for one reason, and we'll close tonight by turning the page to Romans chapter six, and we'll end with this. So for the Jew, what Paul is laid, laying out in quite a bit of detail is the simple point, outward signs of religion that makes a person think, all is well, I'm going to heaven. And Paul's saying, nope, that's not it. For the Christian, the danger could be, all is well. Um, my dad would not miss church. Put 20 bucks in that plate, I watched him every Sunday for 25 years. And um, took communion, went through all the rituals, I have to admit, though, from time to time, I was bad. Uh, When I was an usher, I could actually um, usher people in, sit them down, and at the end of our Lutheran service, when they said the Our Father prayer, it was my job, when it says Our Father, I pushed a button, and the bell rang, ding! And then in the middle of Our Father, it was another place where you go, ding, and then I would say, amen, ding. So it was my job to make sure that bell rang three times. Except what I would do is I would sneak out and go to the mag, which is a pool hall. From the time that I'd usher people in, I could get in a game of pool and still get back and ring the bell. There was a couple of close calls, but what I just told you was true because I could have cared less about being in church and I was really into playing pool. And that was uh, the magnet in downtown Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Paul says it this way. We'll close with these six verses. What shall we say then to Romans chapter two? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer of it? What's baptism all about? Baptism is something of your own free will. Now that you've come to Christ, that's why we don't practice infant baptism. So should you be baptized? Yes. Why? Because Jesus said so. But in so doing, you're acknowledging that something is going down in the water and dying, and you're coming out this new creation, old things have passed away, and all things are becoming new. I am now born again. Well, how do I express that outwardly? By a burial. Let's read it. Or do you not know that many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That's called being born again. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It all comes down to um, um, my favorite scripture out of Corinthians, where it says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it's all about. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. And what I just told you was the truth. What happens when you hear the truth? Sets you free. The truth sets you free. And when you're born again and you want to outwardly express this, that's got to be the craziest thing in the world for a full-grown adult to go out and get dunked in some tank somewhere. And the world looks at that and goes, crazy thing to do no not for us we won't we're outwardly saying and then we're explaining to people the old has passed away and all things are becoming new romans chapter two amen let's stand and we'll close in prayer lord thank you for your word tonight and that the free gift that you've given to us is by grace and by your work alone and it it does set us free lord We don't have to look at our lives and put our life on a scale and see how good we are and how bad we are or how much better we might be or worse than somebody else. But this is the work of God that we believe on the one that the Father has sent. And we simply do that and understanding that truth, Lord, causes us to have this freedom. So thank you for your word tonight. And I pray you'd go before us the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.